Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy changed the way people looked at superhero movies, but even more specifically how the world looked at Batman movies, because the last Batman movie before the Dark Knight trilogy was 1997's Batman and Robin. And if you've never heard how this fast food approved camp fest came to be, then strap on those bat nipples and get ready to say holy failure as we look at 1997's Batman and Robin. Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we are looking at Batman and Robin. Ah, yes. Now, this was a thing because in 1997, this one misguided movie nearly ended the movie career of George Clooney, the legacy of Batman, and most importantly, the incredibly lucrative movie franchise of comic book adaptations. So, why did Marvel say it was the most important comic book movie ever made more about that a little later on now you are a batman fan right mr hebel i am i'm a bat fan since batman first appeared in a may 1939 dc comic book created by the brilliant bob kane he has stood for honor duty and integrity and ray has just pulled out a funko head Batman. This is from Batman and Robin. This is the Clooney suit, and it has the nipples on it. Oh, I didn't even know they had made one of those. Batman, if you don't know, of course, is millionaire playboy Bruce Wayne, who protects the fictional Gotham City from the likes of such nefarious villains as the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler, and Catwoman. Well, Batman's quest for justice has always been consistent. The tones of the stories have not. When the comic book first emerged, the tone was dark and then it kind of moved to campiness. I mean, how could you not with a man who resembled a penguin? Oh, it makes sense. Right? And then back to dark in the early 60s. But it was the 1966 ABC TV series Batman, which cemented in the minds of many that Batman was tongue-in-cheek campiness. The TV series, which lasted for three seasons, starred Adam West as an uber-serious Batman. Here are some of the best lines of dialogue, campy as can be, said with the most straightest of faces by Adam West from the 1966 movie Batman. A routine question. Have you recently sold any war surplus submarines, and if so, to whom? Salt and corrosion. The infamous old enemies of the crime fighter. I'd say the odds against it would make even the most Reckless gambler cringe. True, I did think I'd spotted it out of the corner of my eye. Let's go. But inconspicuously. Through the window. And if it wasn't campy enough uh, that we have Adam West as Batman, we give him Burt Ward as his young ward, Dick Grayson, who also ends up being Robin. And he added to the campiness of the TV show with his unending stream of holy utterances. So let's hear some... 
Holy Robins on our Holy Podcast. Holy Fly Paper. Holy Kofax. Holy Jack in the Box. Holy Red Herring. Holy Stuffy. Holy Ravioli. Holy Grammar. Holy Safari. Holy Headlines. Holy Iceberg. Holy Blizzard. Holy Interruptions. Holy and it goes on and on and on. As if Batman and Robin were not campy enough, the villains take it to a whole new level. There the is best. Caesar, I won't shave my mustache, Romero. Do you want to tell the story? He was the Joker. Well, see, he was an established actor at this point, and they wanted him to come in as a Joker, and he said fine, but he was known for having a pencil-thin mustache like all the time. So he said, well, I won't shave my mustache. So they just put the white Joker makeup over his mustache so it's white joker makeup and then you just see his mustache mustache. it's kind of amazing it's oh my god it's just it adds it adds to the campiness ridiculousness of the show eartha kit as catwoman eartha kit director otto preminger as mr freeze and vincent price as egghead the dc comics turned the ship around in the 70s and 80s by having the comic books embrace the darkness of the comics and in the early 80s inspired by the uh successful superman with christopher reeve movies dc said maybe it's time for a batman film mm-hmm. and there were rumors that a feature-length batman film would be made with bill murray as batman and eddie murphy as Robin. I do remember hearing something about that. More so than book adaptations, I think, movie adaptations inspire fans to become tenacious in their criticism of who gets to create these worlds that have been such an essential part of their lives. And the news that in 1989, Warner Brothers was bringing Batman to the big screen was no less than controversial. Hired to direct would be Tim Burton, whom audiences at the time only knew as the man who directed the hysterically campy and funny Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And Frankenweenie. But there was no Edward Scissorhands, no Beetlejuice, right? He was not the Tim Burton. That we know. Yeah, it's, it is It is funny to think that, I mean, that is good perspective, to think that, oh, you know who's going to be great for this dark adaptation of Batman? <laughs> Tim Burton. Tim Burton, the Pee-wee Herman guy. Oh, okay. Uh, Well, it gets even more upsetting for our comic book fans because Burden then cast the incredibly funny Michael Keaton, who was praised for his campy performances in Johnny Dangerously and his very funny performance in Mr. Mom. So already the comic book audience was stirring with hateful comments. Thank God there were no chat rooms in 1989 and there was no social media in 1989. You know what's just really quick funny is that I grew up knowing Michael Keaton as Batman. Same here. And, you know, it, I, when I, one of the first times as a kid that made me realize, like, whoa, actors, is when someone was like, well, you know the guy that plays Beetlejuice is the guy who plays Batman. And I was like, what the hell? And then when I got older, I found out that before Batman, Michael Keaton was like a big comedy star. And so it's just funny, like growing up, you associate him as like one type of an actor. But now going back, like thinking how fans were so pissed because it was a comedian where I grew up knowing him as Batman. And that is exactly how people reacted at the time, which was not as excited as you were, but angry. Yeah. Why are these two people... Do It's literally going to be the same fucking 1960s exactly. TV show all over again. So when the movie came out with Jack Nicholson as the Joker, the movie, which cost $48 million to make, took in $400 million at the box office. Keaton was praised by the naysayers. They thought he was a fantastic Batman, and he is. And uh, a majority of comic book aficionados liked Burton's take on Batman, although some felt that the Joker killing Wayne's parents was a little too much, and Alfred, the protective butler, would never let a stranger into the Batcave like he does Vicky Vale. So while the movie is popular, the merch related to the movie 
added an additional payday of $500 million to Warner Brothers. Now, there is a great retrospective on all the Batman toys over at Cracked, so you can just see the items that we're, that we're talking about. But you had, like, a Joker figure, and you had the Batcave, oh, and you I, had Batman. I, I had, had them all. Them all. Oh, yeah. I, I think one of the... I think Jack Nicholson was wary of doing it, too, but he got, like... He decided to take back end, and then this movie made Jack Nicholson... A lot of money. He made the right decision. Yeah. You may be wondering why we're talking about the merchandising for Batman. Don't worry. It's all going to play a part in a second. In 1992, Tim Burton brings Keaton back for Batman Returns, which stars Danny DeVito as the Penguin and Michelle Pfeiffer as the Catwoman. The budget on this one is $80 million, and it took in $266.8 million worldwide and got even stronger accolades from audiences and critics. And WB, Warner Brothers, is ready to ride that merch train, folks, with toys, toys, toys. And McDonald's features this very early aggressive ad campaign that builds up the hype for the film so that when it does open, kids must see it. And the toys that are on the market are plentiful. We have Wayne Manor. We have a Catwoman with a whip. We have Batman. We have Robin. We have the Penguin's Minions. And the Penguin. Ah, yes. The Penguin. Now, the Penguin, if you've never seen the movie, it, it's played by Danny DeVito. And he's dressed, they they made the Penguin to be one of the most disgusting figures ever seen on screen imagine rudy giuliani has made it with an eel then they shrunk that down to size he is gross he is slimy he is disgusting he has ink come out of his he mouth. has ink come out of his mouth now the toys however feature a penguin who kind of looks like the penguin from the comic books in the old tv series he's very dapper he has a top hat he has a monocle he's impeccably dressed and the kids are quite confused. This is not the penguin from the movie. Therefore, they don't buy the toys. And this is why we make movies, folks, to make people buy toys. Back then, repainting uh, toys and like taking out torsos and replacing arms was a huge in the toy industry to save money. So it was huh. just a re. It was essentially it was a repaint. It was a repaint, but a very expensive mistake. Well, yeah. So also when the parents take their kids to see the film because that's all the kids have been talking about since mcdonald's has been Terrifying. throwing these toys at them it's a fucking tim burton nightmare yeah in which the penguin is sexually obsessed bites a man's nose off oh my god that it's terrifying the scariest part to me is when michelle pfeiffer puts down the uh stuffed animals deer into the garbage disposal oh that's scary too it's scary and the penguin's villainous plan is to kidnap all the firstborn children <laughs> in gotham city this movie is a what the fuck movie i'm a grown adult and i watch the movie and i feel uncomfortable so you can't imagine what like 90s kids and families were going through after good old mcdonald's said go buy the penguin toy soon people are raging against mcdonald's how dare they make toys about a movie that supports infanticide and sex with animals and mcdonald's is like no 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 uh, just the idea of batman or the toys not the movie lol 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 warner brothers is terrified they're gonna lose all their marketing and merch deals as mcdonald's is like hey we're losing money because no one wants the fucking happy meals and warner brothers is like we're losing money because these boomers think this is family-friendly movies and it's not a family-friendly movie so they're terrified of losing their cash cow. They asked Tim Burton to step aside because <laughs> the movies he creates is scary. They say you can produce it, but the movie has to be family friendly and benign. And they hire Joel Schumacher 
to direct the next Batman movie. Schumacher was a costume designer and a production designer, and he turned director with some movies like St. Elmo's Fire and The Lost Boys, which is not necessarily movies that you think of when you're like, who wants to helm a family-friendly Batman mm. movie? And so McDonald's also now is getting aggressive. Ronald's pissed. And and McDonald's says, we're not giving you one cent until we see a script to the movie. McDonald's is also giving them notes on how to get more toys out of the movie to put in the script. So they're like, more cars, more costume changes. And of course, the line where Batman, where Alfred says, should I make you a sandwich, sir? And Batman says, I'll get drive through. Uh. All from the brilliant minds of the writers over at McDonald's. Uh, Now, Keenan (laughs) was ready to play Batman again. But once Schumacher said to him, why does everything need to be so dark? Keenan was like, I'm out. And he left the project. And then uh, William Baldwin was contested for the role. Ethan Hawke, Johnny Depp. But instead, they went with Tombstone's Val Kilmer. And in this one, Batman Forever, Robin is going to appear. Oh, I was so excited. In the movie. Robin's going to appear. Eventually, it goes to the young heartthrob, Chris O'Donnell. Oh, hell yeah. But who were they looking at before Chris O'Donnell? Marlon Wayans from the Wayans Brothers. And they went with Chris O'Donnell. I would love to have seen Marlon Wayans, though, as Robin. I'm sure he would have been brilliant. And to add to this wonderful cast, they get some really hot actors in to play the villains. Jim Carrey, who's like so hot, hot at that time, like nobody's business, is going to be the Riddler. Tommy Lee Jones is going to be Two Face. He's going to do full frontal, and he's going to do full frontal. And Nicole Kidman is going to be Batman's, or sorry, Bruce Wayne's love interest, Batman's love interest. Now Schumacher has to say, okay, we got to make this more family friendly. So his Gotham City. Unlike Tim, Tim Burton's Gotham City looked like a very dark New York. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it looked, looked but it, it looked lived in. It looked scary. Realistic. Exactly. It makes it, it. It's grimy. It's dingy. Yes. And Schumacher says my Gotham City to be family friendly. No, is, no. Power wash is going to it is. It's neon. Everything is neon. There's massive, massive statues like that go throughout the entire city. It looks really animated and of course the costumes this is where we start to have some controversy the costumes are very detailed the costumes have nipples oh yes they do and we're talking about batman and robin's costumes their armor they have nipples they have cod pieces batman and robin it kind of looks like some gay erotic sex fantasy could you explain to our listeners what a cod piece is sure it's a uh, a piece that uh, men would put over their genitalia uh to uh protect it like a cup but a fabric cup and uh, you can see the dicks. Yeah. So, of course, the publicity for Batman Forever as a family-friendly film works, and it grosses $336 million. Oh, like a, almost $100 million more than... I didn't realize it that much and more. And becomes the highest-grossing film of 1995. But most importantly, folks... The toys, the merch. There were countless toys, games, books, food tie-ins. A whole new Batmobile. A whole new Batmobile. Batman dressed this way. Batman dressed that way. The Riddler dressed this way. The Riddler dressed that way. Six Flags has some rides associated with it. That's a pretty big tie-in. Stunt show, right? Um, And of course, Seals... Big hit. Baby, Audiences, however, were tepid to the film. They still <laughs> went to see it. They just didn't like it. And Roger Ebert wrote, quote, is the, bat, is the movie better entertainment? 
Well, it's great bubblegum for the eyes. Younger children will be able to process it more easily. Some kids were led bawling from Batman Returns, where the PG-13 rating was a joke. So now, Warner Brothers and McDonald's and the manufacturers now have a formula. But the three-year rule of new releases wouldn't work, right? Releasing one of these films every three years. Mm -hmm. They need a new film to go with the hype, and they need it tomorrow. So they will rush a new movie into production to be done by summer of 1997. Perfect. Warner Brothers gives Batman and Robin, that's what they're going to call it. In July of 95, it's greenlit. They're going to shoot it in September of 96. They're going to release it in the summer of 97. Now, the script for this movie is, and we're going to use that word oh so loosely, is being written by Joel Schumacher and Akiva Goldsman while they're working on uh, A Time to Kill. Like, it's not hard enough to make one movie. Like, on their 10-minute breaks, they're going to be like, where are we with Batman and Robin? Well, the plot, I'll give it to you in a nutshell. Now, uh, I will not walk you through this entire film because there's really nothing to walk through. Uh, You can watch it and you can see it. And I know, Ray, you're a fan of it, right? It holds a special place in my heart from my childhood, yes. I mean, I can watch. I, I probably wouldn't seek it out to watch this first, but I will. I will watch this again at some point in my life. Okay, so I don't want to offend you, Ray. Is really what That's, I'm saying. I know it's shit. Okay, okay, all right. So the plot of the movie, folks, is Batman and Robin will now be joined by Batgirl. She's really Alfred's niece from England, the Alfred the Butler, and they will join forces to defend Gotham City from Mister Freeze and Poison. Ivy. And Bane. Yes, Bane. We'll include Bane in this as well. So let's talk about casting for the Batman and Robin film. So first of all, it's quickly decided that Val Kilmer is an asshole and they're not going to work with him again. So the first person they look at to replace Val Kilmer is going to be William Baldwin. And they go, no, he's a little, he's kind of like a Tim Burton one. Like he's too dark for what we're looking for. Who's kind of intense but lighter in tone? Well, there's a new TV series on at this time called ER. And they look at a guy named George Clooney, who's the big breakout star of ER. We're going to use Clooney because he's lighter in tone. Chris O'Donnell will come back to play Robin. Then, uh, like I said, Batgirl is being added to the mix. And according to Joel Schumacher, he said the only choice for that role was going to be Alicia Silverstone. Alicia Silverstone, who who just had come off of Clueless and was- She was uh, hot. Was, oh my God, she was a big, yeah. big, big name at the time. So, okay, so you got a pretty good threesome, actually. Clooney, O'Donnell, Silverstone, right? Now it's time to cast the role of Mr. Freeze. And the way they conceive of Mr. Freeze- is that of a tragic Shakespearean character. Now, if you read the comic books, and Ray, you can tell me if I'm if I'm correct on this, Mr. Freeze actually has a very humanistic, sad origin story. The way Mr. Freeze gets to be Mr. Freeze is he was a molecular biologist, and he was trying to cryogenically preserve his terminally ill wife. So the idea would be once he found a cure for whatever she died from, he could bring her back to life. And he suffers this horrible accident while he's trying to uh, preserve her. And because of that, he's forced to live in a sub-zero suit that's powered by diamonds. And so they look at Anthony Hopkins. Oh. They look at Ed Harris. And all the dialogue, apparently, was was written for Mr. Freeze to be like these long Shakespearean-like speeches. And eventually, they go, well, let's come up with another idea. Well, what do you think, Joel? Who do you even want to use? And he comes up with, how about Hulk Hogan? Like, no. 
How about Sylvester Stallone? No. And then they go with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm going to play Victor Freeze. I play Victor Freeze. And Arnold Schwarzenegger at this time is a huge, huge action action star. And he says, I'll do it, but <laughs> uh, $25 million, top billing, and you only have me for a few hours a day. I'm giving you limited hours in this movie. Including makeup time. There was a storyboard artist on the show named Tim Burgard. And Tim, <laughs> he, he says, uh, uh, all the dialogue was for Mr. Freeze. You could tell it was meant for somebody who would deliver it in a Shakespearean fashion. It was hysterical. In my head, I was reading Freeze's dialogue as Schwarzenegger. And then as time went on, the scripts changed and they were like, we'll just give him one-liners about ice. Yeah, exactly. But can you imagine him like doing like monologues? I would love it. Arnold, you ever, you ever do any Shakespeare? I was in Cymbeline in the park. <laughs> oh. Central Park? No, Zoic. <laughs> you were in it? The audience. Okay. How are you with puns? <laughs> Very good. Oh, we love puns here. Some would say, I'm bunny. <laughs> so the role of Mr. Freeze goes from what I think would probably be a really interesting characterization to jokey, hokey one-liners. Hey, friends. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, could you do us a favor? After you listen to today's episode, open up your podcast app and leave us a review, please. The more reviews we get, the more people will discover us, and the more people that discover us, the less lost we'll feel. You're good, buddy. It's okay. Uh, look, nothing has ever been easier to do. Just go ahead and grab a pen real quick. It's okay. We'll wait. Don't worry. Okay, head on over to your podcast app, click those three dots in the lower right-hand corner, Click go to show, scroll down till you see ratings and reviews, then leave us some stars and a comment or two so our parents know that it was worth all the tuition that they spent. And if you really love us, head on over to patreon.com and send us some money. And in return, you will get access to merch, special episodes, bonus content, pictures of me shirtless. Okay, okay, that's P-A-T. R-E-O-N dot com. Search This Was a Thing and help us out. But you know what? You've already helped us out today by listening to us, and we can't tell you how much we appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. Now, there's Poison Ivy as well. Poison Ivy, she's this eco-terrorist who is a botanist, and she also goes through this transformation. Her blood becomes aloe, her skin is chlorophyll, and her kiss is venomous. So for Poison Ivy, they look at Demi Moore, they look at uh, Sharon Stone, but fresh off of Pulp Fiction, they cast the wonderful Uma Thurman. Poison Ivy's going to be snorting heroin in this version <laughs> of Batman and Robin, where Mr. Freeze punches her in the chest with a frozen EpiPen. These are ideas. <laughs> Uma! Uma! I'm going to punch you. <laughs> what? You only had me on set for limited hours. We need to get the shoot. Uma, hold my cigar when I punch <laughs> you in the chest. We will not freeze the equipment. <laughs> Put that bunny in. Oh, were you rolling? Tell me you're rolling. <laughs> that was hilarious. So anyway, like you said, Ray, God forbid we forget Bane, this villain who's kind of there, kind of not. Thank you so much. And they they cast uh, the man who has the largest biceps on record, Jeep Swenson. Gotta love Jeep. Okay, so they have the cast. They're ready to go. And the first thing people are remembering as they start shooting is how bizarre the script was. <laughs> oh, because, yeah. <laughs> because it seemed like it was not only like way too campy, but it seemed as if the script was written by committee. 
and that the committee all worked at Hasbro. It comes out that the toy makers, apparently, were involved in pitch meetings asking for as many different cars and costumes for the characters. Here is the great George Clooney talking about his time in Batman and Robin on the Graham Norton show. I love Graham Norton. Uh, there was a director named Joel Schumacher, who's a very funny man, very tall, very sort of eccentric, and he would direct with a speaker and a, uh, with a microphone and a speaker. Usually directors will come up and say, hey, uh, uh, he'll be like, okay, and you'd hear this, you know, giant <laughs> booming voice. And I bolted into this suit, I can't move. And he would literally go, and he would direct you like as if you would have some emotional scene. He would go, okay, people, all right, uh, uh, George, you know, your parents are dead. You have nothing to live for. <laughs> he seems like the most fun dude. George Clooney? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he seems he, like a nice person. Exactly. He just seems like a genuine nice guy. Do you know who George Clooney's best friend is? Say it. Richard Kind. They're best friends. Richard Kind and George Clooney are best friends. That is so funny. So that was George Clooney talking about it. And now Chris O'Donnell says, it, quote, it just felt like everything got a little soft the second time. On Batman Forever, I felt like I was making a movie. The second time, I feel like I was making a kid's toy commercial. And he's kind of right. The public's obsession, though is really about superstar Arnold Schwarzenegger and what does he look like as Mr. Freeze. Now, Mr. Freeze, Schwarzenegger, had an 11-person unit dedicated just to him for a prep that took four hours in the morning, okay? And that long makeup time limited how much time Schwarzenegger could shoot because his contract said, I will only give you 12 hours a day. So four hours are being used in makeup. That gets you to eight, right? Well, and, and you, have to take, you have to take it off, too, then. So. And what, and it, well, and one of the... Oh, yeah, and you have to take it off, too. Yeah, it so, needs I mean, to be out by then. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's probably... I'm guessing a two-hour off, so he probably gets six hours in front of the camera, Jesus. not including breaks. As if this, like, doesn't get even wackier, John Bon Jovi is a friend of Schwarzenegger's. He comes by the set all the time, and he brings Cuban cigars for Arnold. And Arnold's like, I want to smoke some on the set, paint some white. So when you see him smoking... It's because John Bon Jovi brought him cigarettes. George Clooney, your best friend is Richard Kind. <laughs> Do you want to see who my best friend is? John Bon Jovi! Come here, John! Did you bring your guitar? Why you do not bring your guitar? <laughs> we will all sing together. Richard Kind, what are you going to do, <laughs> huh? You were in regional production of Guys and Dolls. George, let us play a game. Who has the coolest best friend? All right, John, you play Dead or Alive and Richard Kind. Do the two lines they gave you on Spin City this week. <laughs> so anyway, so Schwarzenegger is like unrecognizable as Mr. Freeze, which is a good thing. Now, the shoot, like I said, is top secret and they put up a tent. So the only way he can walk around Schwarzenegger is through this tent. So that way the public can't see him whatsoever. If it's tough for Schwarzenegger, the person who I think really suffers in all of this is Alicia Silverstone. So first of all, Alicia Silverstone, like I said, she's playing Batgirl. While she's filming the movie between Clueless and the other stuff that she was doing, she started to put on weight. She was a teenager then, and she's getting criticized by fashion commentators after presenting in, at the 1996 Oscars, and they all know she's going to be Batgirl, and they start fat shaming her. And it's, if it's not bad enough that the press is making fun of her weight, the crew does it too. Rumors started to circulate that she was having a lot of trouble in costume fittings, that she couldn't fit into the costumes. So a storyboard artist did a cartoon of what the costume department was going through, putting Alicia Silverstone in a corset to make her costumes work, and he designed it to look like a movie poster, and the title of the movie was Clueless 2, 
the casting of Batgirl. Wow. This is Alicia Silverstone talking a little bit about her experience and the fat shaming that went on as she played Batgirl. She revealed to The Guardian, quote, they would make fun of my body when I was younger. It was hurtful, but I knew they were wrong. I wasn't confused. I knew that it was not right to make fun of somebody's body shape. That doesn't seem like the right thing to be doing to a human. Apparently, she didn't have a good time on set either, saying, quote, there were working circumstances that were less than favorable in terms of how things went down. And no, I didn't say F you and come out like a warrior, but I would just walk away and go, okay, I know what that is and I'm done. I'm not going near that again. And then director Joel Schumacher publicly defended Silverstone and he said, what is this girl's big sin, that she ate some pizza? And then later on, he was like, it was horrible. I thought it was very cruel. She was a teenager who gained a few pounds, like all of us do at certain times. I would confront female journalists, and I'd say, with so many young people suffering from anorexia and bulimia, why are you crucifying this girl? That's crazy. That's sad. I'm like, who the fuck? She looks fine. Everyone back the fuck off. People are assholes. Now, the dailies of this film. Warner Brothers loved the dailies. And they were like, hey, listen, we're ready to make a fifth film. And uh, it's going to be called Batman Unchained. And the villain's going to be Scarecrow. Oh. And playing Scarecrow, Coolio. Coolio will be playing Scarecrow. Finally, after ending filming a few weeks early, Batman and Robin is wrapped in January of 1997. Two weeks ahead of schedule. Go okay. Joel Schumacher. With a release date of June 1997. And it was like the most eagerly anticipated summer blockbuster, especially by... The Toy Company. Oh, hell yeah. The movie's done. Everyone is waiting to see its first look. And then, I don't know if you remember this, on February 19th, 1997, Entertainment Tonight dropped the trailer. Do you remember waiting to like see trailers getting dropped? I probably, if I knew this trailer was going to premiere on Entertainment Tonight, I would have watched it. I don't necessarily remember it, but... So everybody was like waiting like for this trailer. And it didn't disappoint. Honor, partners. Now, that trailer is very exciting, but it's very clear it's uh, a lot brighter, a lot campier than what people had seen. It's a lot more chill. It's a lot more chill uh, previously. Now, don't forget, folks, this is also the summer of Men in Black, Face Off, and Hercules from Zero to Hero. So there's a lot of competition for Batman and Robin, but don't worry. People are very interested to see Arnold Schwarzenegger, Uma Thurman. The Bachelor's Chris O'Donnell. The Bachelor's Chris O'Donnell. And one fine day is George Clooney. (laughs) Okay, so now we have a couple of things. One, we have, uh, it's getting out about Alicia Silverstone. So fuck those people. Then it's starting to get out that the movie based on the trailer is all campy and bright and what the hell is this? And it's also being attacked by something new, folks, called the internet. What? And there are websites on the internet like Ain't It Cool News and Dark Horizons. And they're actually spreading misinformation about Batman and Robin, saying such things as the movie is in such terrible shape, they're actually reshooting the ending of it, which is not true, but it's automatically starting to put out their negative ideas about the film. So you've got negative ideas about when you're walking into the film about what you're going to see. But now listen, 
oh, if you're over at Warner Brothers and you're nervous about the bad press, don't you worry. First of all, Coolio is going to come play Scarecrow for you pretty soon. And there are tons of Batman and Robin toys, shirts, food items, posters, and now several Six Flags amusement parks introduced new roller coasters themed to the film. There's Batman and Robin the Chiller over at Six Flags Great Adventure. Then uh, Mr. Freeze over at Six Flags Over Texas and Six Flags St. Louis. So the budget for this, like I said, was 160 but they spent $125 million on marketing alone. $125 million on marketing, very close to the $160 million that it cost to make the movie. And the movie ended up making about $238.2 million. It's finally released on June 20th, 1997, Summertime, Summertime Madness in uh, North America, earning $42,872,605 in its opening weekend. And then once the reviews came out and word of mouth got out, it just kept plummeting. Now, you have to remember, what did the audiences see? They saw the trailer, and the trailer looks okay. It may be kind of a couple of weird things, but it looked okay. But from the movie's first moments, you knew you were in for a totally different ride than you had seen on any sort of Batman previously. First of all, you get some incredible puns from Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze that you can barely fucking understand. The Iceman cometh. Please, show some mercy. Mercy? I'm afraid that my condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy. No! What is he saying? The Iceman cometh. I need to go get my Kleenex. So we meet Mr. Freeze. I'm not going to break down this movie for you. I'm just going to give you some highlights. We meet Mr. Freeze. Okay, we establish that he's the villain, and he's only going to talk in puns about the ice and the cold. I'm wondering, like, the Anthony Hopkins, like, monologue that probably would have opened this movie <laughs> if they had stuck with him. I ate the iceberg with a bottle of frozen water. There is nothing colder than my wife's corpse, than my heart, a heart that once beated mightily for this beautiful woman that I called the love of my life. Arnold. The Iceman Comet. <laughs> Arnold, that's a great ad lib. Thank you. Richard Kind told it to me. <laughs> I would like to bring in Richard Kind as my script dog dad. He's going to punch it up. I don't know if these are Richard's jokes from his own mind or if Paul Reiser is telling them to him at craft services during Mad About You. That sounds more like a Helen Hunt joke, Richard. I want more Paul Reiser. <laughs> Give me my ball! Did you see Twister? One of the least funny movies I've ever seen. Oh my god! So after we meet Mr. Freeze, they go on an ice skating chase, and their boots turn into ice skates. Well, obviously. And they start skating around. Then they go surfing. Then it gets where <laughs> Batman has a bat credit card. I mean, he uses a bat union. <laughs> So here's the other thing that I think that's unfortunate for Batman and Robin going into it. Now, if you're the public, remember... You are coming in with expectations from the last Batman films. Batman with uh, the first one, 89 Batman is great. Then 92 Batman Returns is just phenomenal. Then Batman Forever, while it's below those other two, it's not horrendous. And Jim, I don't think it's that bad. No, and Jim Carrey is great. Ro the story of Robin is great. So they all come in with these expectations. Some of them are like, I want it to be Tim Burton, so automatically their expectations are not going to be met. Some of them are like, I want it to be the campy 60s version, and those expectations are not going to be met. And some of them probably like Batman forever, and we're like, oh, I'm kind of looking to embrace that sort of like straddling 
mm-hmm. you know, worlds. And that's not met. I mean, this is just campy goofiness. And every critic just lambasted the movie. Roger Ebert said it was a two-hour toy commercial. Here's Roger Ebert on Siskel and Ebert talking about Batman and Robin. And I believe Gene Siskel also chimes in to add okay, his opinion. Uh, it is true that the action sequences are so busy that you can't get involved in them. They're too hard to follow. It's like there's a pinball machine with all five balls on the machine at the same time. But even apart from that, uh, there were so many questions about Batman and Robin that would be interesting to answer if the movie had any serious interest in its characters. Also, but Tim Burton is another level of filmmaker than Joel Schumacher, and Tim Burton puts a psychological approach in his filmmaking that is at least more interesting. We've liked the other pictures. Um, Here... You're quite right. There is nothing. There's no human element. L.A. Times said that this kills the Batman franchise. And you have to also remember at this time, folks, it's not like today where like every fucking three months it feels like another Marvel something appears. It's a TV show. It's a movie. There was none of this. You got these things so rarely. They stopped making the Superman movies with Christopher Reeve a while back. So this was really the only big action comic book thing that you were waiting for in terms of a franchise, right? Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, if you go into Rotten Tomatoes, folks, it currently has a 3.8 out of 10 with a 12% approval rating. Okay. But it's not just the critics dissing the movie. It's also the creators of the film that are dissing on it. Joel Schumacher said, quote, if there's anybody watching this that, let's say, loved Batman forever and went into Batman and Robin with great anticipation, if I've disappointed them in any way, then I really want to apologize because it wasn't my intention. My intention was just to entertain them. And he says the problem is because Warner Brothers fast-tracked the movie and demanded that it was kid-friendly, i.e. merch-friendly. That's why it failed. George Clooney said it was a total waste of money and he would give people $10 back if they said they saw him in Batman and Robin. And back then, movie tickets were only like $7, so you're banking three bucks. Alicia Silverstone, she won the Razzie Award for this, and it was also nominated for uh, Worst Reckless Disregard for Human Life and Public Property. Oh, my God. Immediately, Warner Brothers, based on the negative reaction it's getting, says, no more <laughs> Batman movies. And the fifth movie with Coolio is shelved. Uh-huh. So we, the world was denied the Scarecrow as played by Coolio. The magnitude of this failure, according to Warner Brothers and DC Comics, is that the good name of Batman has been so sullied, there is no reason to even try to bring back this character, as he will just be laughed at off the screen. With the consistent playing of Batman and Batman Returns on television, as well as the easy VHS access to those things, why try to compete as either audiences will be unhappy or toy companies will be unhappy. Either way, someone's not going to be pleased. It should also be noted that at this time, Batman was still in the public consciousness but as an animated series on fox it's one of the best animated series and i was going to say it's quite a good one too and it reminded audience how a darker batman could appeal to both kids and adults so you're seeing a really good batman in your living room why do you need to go and see another movie of it that doesn't seem to ever really hit the mark so while we were deprived of batman for quite some time luckily in 2005 we get batman begins this time it's going to be directed by christopher nolan he brought it back to realism he brought it back to realism and of course the great christian bale who regardless of what you think about him personally is a brilliant actor and once batman begins debuts people can breathe easier and the batman franchise comes back for all of us there's gotham which is a tv series uh, which has become a huge success uh it ended up ending after a couple seasons but i mean that was a huge uh show talking about the backstory of gotham pd and stuff um i mean 
uh, there's been Batfleck. There's now going to be Robert Pattinson. And it seems like Batman from this point forward will never go back to that sort of campy, stylized no. world that Joel Schumacher created. The only, the only campy Batman you will see from now going forward is Lego Batman. They did a Lego Batman movie and they obviously play into the fact that they're toys. Great. But I don't but I think with the success of Christopher Nolan's trilogy, you won't see another campy one. Unless it's like an over the top parody that like is a sure, you know like that sure. goes into it going, "Okay, we're going to make this tongue in cheek." Sure. When we come back, we are going to discuss the legacy of Batman and Robin and why Marvel Comics said it's the most important comic book film ever made. We'll be right back. This was a thing. This was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. You know, I'll be honest. I didn't even think that Arnold was even that bad as Mr. Freeze. Yeah, yeah. And Alicia Silverson. I mean, come on. We got to look at her and didn't even have to sit through Clueless. Yeah, right. What the hell's going on with you? I feel like your head's not even in this film assessment. Can't stop thinking about batnips. That's what you're thinking about? Batman's nipples? That's weird. No, why were they there? What was the point? Is Batman nursing? I have nipples, and I don't nurse, okay? That is physically completely impossible. Your logic's totally flawed. I don't want to know about the Dark Knight's nips. Wait, 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 wait. You don't want to know about the Dark Knight's nips chafing. I'm sure that's why they put room for his nipple. I guess that makes more sense. Uh, it totally makes sense. Look, uh, okay, look, uh, imagine you have to go out around Gotham nightly cleaning up Mr. Freeze's mess. I'm sure it's got to be sweaty in that bat suit. And then you go right into some frozen Gotham tundra hellscape. You know, that's got to be hell on Bruce's nipples. Okay, yeah, so it's like a practical thing, not something weird. Yeah, I guess you're right. Joel Schumacher wouldn't do anything weird to Batman. But why did I have to see his asshole, though? Thank you. This was a sketch. Kevin Feige, who is the president of Marvel Studios, has called Batman and Robin the most important comic book movie ever made because its failure forced major comic book companies and film studios to really rethink how they presented comic book based media. So if it wasn't for the failure of Batman and Robin, who knows if the franchises would have even survived. In Watchmen, the director Zack Snyder and the comic book artist Dave Givens chose to parody the molded muscle and nipple bat suit design in some of the costumes. And the film is referenced in Batman the Brave and the Bold episode Legends of the Dark Might, when Batmite briefly uses his power to transform Batman's costume into the same suit that George Clooney had. And they say, that's too icky. What are some of the big impacts of it today? Well, honestly, I think the big thing, and Ray, you know more about this than I do, so please correct me if I'm wrong. It seems after Batman and Robin, it's just a genuinely accepted principle. Hey, we don't make toys. We make movies. And if you can find something in our movie to market and merchandise, you can. But we're not making the movie the same way Batman and Robin did, which is how many toys can we get out of this? The thing that I would say is closest to that way of doing films would probably be the Michael Bay Transformers films where the first one came out it was a huge hit yes they had toys it's a very toy centric property but then after that one was a huge hit I feel like after the next 
movies you saw. It was just so much more merchandise, so much more stuff. Whoever owns the rights to Transformers went in and there was so every Transformers you saw on screen from the second one on, there was going to be a version that you could buy in stores. And I'm sure maybe, you know, you might have somebody was saying, hey, it would be great if exactly he could have two cars. But not what McDonald's was doing, which is saying he will have. No, exactly. That you would not see that. And I'm I guess I'm guessing it probably has to do with this. Yes. Yeah. And I think probably toy companies and filmmakers had to figure out a whole new way to work together after this. Because toys really do sell a film and if you're getting into a film like this you're going to know that there's going to be toys but this just seemed like a huge overstep on the toy company and McDonald's part and like I said before the, the big thing that I'm noticing is is that now if you see a toy or a merchandising item or anything something has stemmed from the film that inspired a toy maker like you know we were talking with like Baby Yoda you know Baby Yoda I feel was not created because they're like hey we got it we want to make a you know, we want to make a toy out of this. It was, let, wouldn't it be interesting if we saw this aspect of a character? Oh, we can mer- merchandise that. As opposed to, we want something cute for the kids. That's exactly what it is. And, you know, this is also the mid-90s, and the fact that they went out of their way to include Batgirl, and there was an emphasis on, like, her own feminism and putting a feminist hero in the plot. What would the response to this movie be in 2021? Well, first of all, I mean, I think there's some things that are surrounding it that you, you'd have to get rid of, which is, uh, you know, anyone would be canceled for immediately saying that there was a problem with her weight. Yeah. I mean, and rightfully so. Bye-bye. We don't need that. There's also no diversity in the film. Do you know that Two-Face was supposed to be Billy D. Williams? And did you know that there's actually a comic book that was released a couple years ago, and it's a continuation of the story, and Billy D. it's drawn as Billy D. Williams, and he becomes Two-Face, and I mean, it actually... I like that. Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting... Interesting Billy D. Williams, you don't know Tommy Lee Jones. I hear he's a jerk. And there would not be any way to keep this as a secret today with social media and cell phones. absolutely not. And we don't really do camp anymore. Camp, if we see camp today, it's something that we're we're making, we're using it to make fun of something. This seems to be campiness and earnestness. And nowadays, if there's anything campy, it's because we want to mock. Yeah, it's something. a parody. It's a parody, right? But why are we talking about Batman and, and Robin today? Uh, a couple of reasons. Well, one, it's the start of George Clooney's movie career, unless you want to count One Fine Day, which I really like. I love that movie. And if you can look at the movie through the lens of this is camp and I'm just going to surrender to it, it's a lot of fun. But overall, the reason that this was a thing is because it made greedy, I think, movie producers and toy manufacturers take a step back and go, are we really doing a disservice to commercializing these comic books and these action heroes? And because they took that step back, we now have incredible films like The Dark Knight, Black Panther, Iron Man. Oh, yeah. And the list goes on and on and on that treats the viewers with respect and intelligence and also honors the original intentions of the creators of those worlds. So that's why we're talking about Batman and Robin today. Go watch it. And, and have a nice campy time with it. So it's just interesting to me. So this came out in 97. They said that this was a film that ruined comic book movies. But it's interesting because the next year, 1998, is when Blade came out with Wesley Snipes, which is a Marvel property. And they say that that's one of the f- movies that kind of helped jumpstart mm. into this current cycle of what comic book films are and franchising and stuff. So it's crazy that a year after a movie said ruined it, a movie got released that became one of the ones that helped 
rebring it back. So it only took a year. You know, I I remember this movie just because for me it's more of a nostalgic movie than anything than anything else. But like I said, go watch it, appreciate it for what it was. And I can't even imagine, you know, for somebody like Joel Schumacher and them, like how this must be difficult, which is, you know, you're being your your artistry is being dictated to you by toy companies. That is crazy. And how do you handle that? And for Schumacher to be like, listen, I didn't think it was going to cause this much damage, and I'm very sorry, is, I think, a real big step in sentiment in his direction. Hey, you know what? I think it's time for a game. Hell yeah. This was a thing, and now it's a quiz. This is a This Was a Quiz. With Mark Schroeder. Batman and Robin love the dynamic duo. They share so much. They share, let's see, they, they share- Bodily fluids. Gadgets, bodily fluids, thirst for vengeance. Yes. The same toilet. At the same time. It's the bat toilet. So it's, it's, the bat toilet. it's shaped like the bat signal. You can pee in a, oh, hey. you can yeah, exactly. pee in a wing. Use it at the same time. Yeah, it's no problem. Number two is a little tricky though. Uh, they're practically joined at the hip. They're connected, if you will. So that brings us to today's game, Dynamic Duos. This is a timed game. You'll be working individually and against each other. Okay? I will read two clues that have a common word that links them. For example, I might say something like Batman's secret identity and former regular on whose line is it anyway? And you might say... Bruce Wayne Brady. Exactly. It's like Wheel of Fortune before and after. It's like the rules of a costume party. Exactly. You know, I was trying... <laughs> Not to get sued here by the costume people or the Wheel of Fortune people, but if you want to name drop brands, <laughs> we're completely fine with that. So, Ray, you're going to go first. I got six questions for each of you. I'm going to give you two clues. There's a common word that links them. Batman is involved. Okay. Oh, you have a 30 seconds to get as many as you can. I forgot to add the tense part. And here we go. Catwoman by day and the Australian music artist who recorded Can't Get You Out of My Head. Selena Kylie Minogue. Correct. The first name of Batman's hometown and a bite-sized 1994 animated movie based on Hans Christian Anderson fairy tale. Next. Dr. Jonathan Crane's alter ego and the process of interlocking loops of yarn or thread. Uh, Scare Crochet. Correct. 1960s penguin actor and a 1992 dark comedy in which Meryl Streep is immortal. Uh, Burgess Meredith. Oh. Rob, wait your turn. Burgess Meredith becomes her. Yes. The creator of the Batman and the first two sons of Adam and Eve. Uh, Bob Kane and Abel. Correct. And finally, 1960s Catwoman TV actress and the composer of A Chorus Line. Oh, geez. Mar Eartha Kitt Hamlish? Incorrect. Sorry, that is Julie Newmar in Hamlish. That is cr you got Selena Kylie Minogue. You did not get Gothumbelina. Ah! Oh. You got Scarecrow Shea. You got Burgess Meredith Becomes Her. You got Bob Kane and Abel. You got four of six. Rob Schneider, let's see if this you can is hard. four of six. Here we go. 1960s Batman actor and musical retelling of Romeo and Juliet. Adam West Side Story. Correct. The Penguin by Day and a popular phrase about hypocrisy. Oswald Cobblepotocrit? Hypocrite? Incorrect. Genius, genius Riddler alter ego and the opening number of Spring Awakening. Totally fine. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. 1960s Joker actor and a nursery rhyme about pleasure cruising on the water. Caesar... <laughs> Romero. And what pleasure cruising on the water? Uh, nursery rhyme about pleasure cruising on the water. Oh, Caesar Romero, row, row, row your boat? Correct. Batman's biggest police ally and Barney Fife actor. Commissioner Gordon Knotts. Yes. Full name of Batman's butler and a pocket candy your grandmother might force on you. 
Alfred Wor- Penny 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 Candy. No. Alfred Werther- Worthington Penny Candy. <laughs> incorrect. Sorry, that is incorrect. Alfred Penny Werthers. Yes, oh, that is Werther's, correct. Oh, Werthers original. Oh, yes. God damn it. You missed Penguin by Day and popular phrase about hypocrisy is Oswald Cobble Pot calling the kettle black. Ah. Uh, Genius Riddler Alter Ego and opening number of Spring Awakening was Edward Nigmama Who Bore Me. Ah. Edward Nigmama. Got it. You got Cesar Romero to row your boat. You got Commissioner Don Knotts. And yes, Alfred Pennyworth's originals. Good job, Ray. Thank you. How did you not know Mama Who Bore Me is the opening to Spring? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was totally fucked. No. That's what you were when you thought that. Oh! Okay, you've won one game this this season. Congrats, Ray. Congrats. Watch this exit. (laughs) That's supposed to be me going up like Batman. I got it. I got it. It looked good, man. It looked really good. Okay. Well, hey, Mark, thanks so much for that. Mark, let's imagine really quickly if we can. We're going to make a Batman. Great. And you're going to star as the villain. And you get to be any one of the Batman villains. Ooh, who do you want to be? Calendar Man. Is that a real villain? Yeah, it's a real. Well, they got so many crazy villains. No, no, no. Who I would legitimately want to be? I want to be one of the big ones. I want to be. Uh, I don't know. Give me a crack at the Joker. I'll try the Joker. I'll be Mister. You know, give me Mister Freeze. Emotionless, cold, icy. Feels nothing. That is fine as long as your best friend is John Bon Jovi and not like George's best friend Richard, Richard Kind. Kind. Wait, George Clooney's best friend is Richard Kind. Listen to the episode. You'll hear all about. <laughs> You'll hear a long time about it, I think. Oh, yeah. What do you think they talked about during the scene? George, our best friend's cars are here. Who has the limo and who has the Toyota Corolla with the Dukakis Benson bumper sticker? (laughs) (laughs) Well, friends, if you remember Batman and Robin, hit us up. Let us know what you think. And do you think the movie deserves a second look? Should it be more appreciated than it actually is? Until then, we will see you all next time. See ya. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing's Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 